The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Hi, I'm Reverend Linda Martella Witset with Silent Unity, reminding you that we are here for you during the holidays to support you with affirmative prayer and inspiration. From all of us at Silent Unity, we wish you a beautiful and blessed holiday season. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today, and I am Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And so today's show is intended to be an interactive discussion. So if you are listening live, you can call in with your comments and questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to share your thoughts and comments. So did you ever wish that you could just start over? Well, isn't that what New Year's is all about? (laughs) Well, good news, you can. In fact, you can start over anytime you decide to. Our higher power gives us the ability to leave behind that which no longer serves us and move us ahead with a clean slate. So today, we want to talk about how to energize your life with a fresh start. And we'll begin by sharing our own experiences of the things that no longer serve us, and then move into the solution of starting over. And after the break, we'll share exactly how we started over to move from a life that was unmanageable to one full of possibilities. And so, Lonnie, what did unmanageability look like for you? You know, I was thinking about that, and it's really the question for me is, what did unmanageability feel like to me? Um, I was I was reflecting about prior to arriving in the program how my life looked on the outside. It appeared that I had my act together. I had a job. I had a family. I had a career. I had... Um, all these things going for me, and yet on the inside, I felt out of control. I felt um, like I I didn't know which end was up. I felt in a panic that I was always wondering, oh my gosh, I'm going to drop a ball. Oh my gosh, what's what's going to happen next? And you know, I'm convinced that a, a significant portion of managing that is what the alcohol and, and pills did for me. You know, so what did it look like on the outside? It looked like I was getting along. You know, I had a house, a car, et cetera, all that stuff I just mentioned. Um, and and if you were in my house, you knew that I'd get up at three o'clock in the morning to be prepared for a seven a.m. meeting. 
that because I had, you know, drank the night before and I was not able to function enough to put the agenda together. And that, you know, that there were things like that happening. Uh, I was overcommitting. I was uh, putting things on my calendar that I wanted to do, that I had good intentions to do, that I had no capacity to do. And so I created my own chaos in that way. And for a long time, drugs and alcohol were the solution to put the lid on that. For me, it was uh, a subtle thing also. And, and um, I like what you're saying about the difference between what did it look like and what did it feel like? Because I, I feel like I have that same uh, experience. I know that um, before I came into recovery, the, I was not really aware of the unmanageability in my life, you know, until the the very end when it was screamingly obvious. Uh, I'm a high bottom drunk, as we say, you know, from the outside, as you shared, um, things looked good, you know, on paper, I had a great life. And in, and in many ways I did, th th those things were true. Um, but the challenge, the issue, uh, the gap if you will, was, was on the inside. And it was very subtle. And one way that it felt or looked, no, felt, one way that it felt for me is kind of the sameness. You know, it's just the same thing, different day, same thing, different day. Today I'll be different. I'll take it easy this evening. And eh, never mind, I'm fine. Uh, you know, and just kind of repeat that for, for years. Uh, one way that it felt different was that my world um, got smaller. You know, the, the things that I was willing and able to do, activities, uh, got narrower and narrower. So while I was going to work and doing everything I needed to do at work, and while I was at home and present at home, you know, that was about it. Uh, I knew uh, I would be drinking in the evening, so... You know, I, I can't plan to be somewhere at 8 o'clock. I probably shouldn't be driving at 8 o'clock. Probably at 4.30 I shouldn't be driving. And so it, it, it caused my world to shrink. And again, I didn't see these things. Everything seemed perfectly fine to me. But with some perspective, I, I could see how, um, how it felt. Same thing, same thing. Uh, and then more and more limitations as time went by. And so once I arrived in the program, I thought that was all that I had to do in order to uh, deal with this panic and this unmanageability. You know, stop drinking and drugging and life evens out, right? That's not what my experience was. And I heard somebody say it one time in a meeting. They said, how do you know you're powerless? Because I did not believe I was powerless over anything. I had ideas. I had education. I had resources. I could figure this out. How do I know if I'm powerless? Because my life is unmanageable. What did unmanageability look like? I didn't know because I was using the external criteria that we just mentioned in order to judge that. So I didn't think my life was unmanageable until my sponsor pointed me to this, what I call a famous paragraph in, in the literature that talks about the bedevilments. And it says we're having trouble with personal relationships. Check. We couldn't control our emotional nature. Check. We were prey to misery and depression. Check. We couldn't make a living. Well, I was making a living, so that one didn't apply. We had a feeling of uselessness. I had that. We were full of fear. I had that. We were unhappy. I was very unhappy, and we couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. 
Um, I tried to help a lot of people. But when I went through that list and I went, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me, that's me, I'm going, okay, maybe my life is unmanageable. It's my internal life that's unmanageable and that's based on my thinking and my feeling uh, and the way that I show up in the world like that. And so something has to change. And so that really is what started me on the path of how do I know if I'm unmanageable? You know, what, how does, it's, how am I feeling? You know, what, what's, what does unmanageability look like today? I definitely got to that place that's de- described um, on this, uh, by this paragraph from the big book, page 52. Uh, by the end of my drinking career, all of these things were absolutely true. Some of them were true um, uh, a little bit before, some of them more than others. Man, but by the time it ended, I mean, if, if I didn't happen to be self-employed, I probably would have got fired. <laughs> I definitely would have fired me, um, I think. And so, you know, some of these things, um, I just happened to be in a situation where I was somewhat shielded from the um, the impact of uh, my, my habits. But man, the, you know, the last, I'm going to say the last month for sure, maybe the last two months, uh, I, I really lost all my capabilities of being, um, functional in, in most ways in the world. I mean, I was at home, I slept and I got up, but you know, I was drinking around the clock at that point. And, uh, as my first sponsor said, um, you know, you, you're a high bottom drunk, but you had your, your toes were hanging over the cliff. You know, I was not very far from, uh, not being a high bottom drunk. And I'm so grateful that I got out when I did. And yeah, this, this, uh, these bedevilments, um, I think probably when I first got into recovery, I'm, I'm not sure that, uh, I would have agreed with all of these, but again, with some perspective, uh, I absolutely had these experiences. And again, it got amplified at the end for sure, but some of them present for, for many years before that. You know, and just because I start a program of recovery and I deal with the unmanageability I have at that point in time did not mean that my life was never unmanageable again. And I didn't know that. I have come across time and time again in my recovery where I am back on, okay, let's wipe the slate clean and start over again. Um, you know, I, I know the first time that happened, I was stunned. I was about three years clean and I had hit another emotional bottom. And it was, as I realized later, I had been checking the box. Yep, I'm going to meetings. Yep, I'm calling my sponsor. Yep, I'm doing step work. But I had not fully committed to a lifestyle change, to a change to a lifestyle of recovery. I was doing actions, but my internal thinking and processing had not adopted this uh, living based on principles. I was still being run by emotion and and my my sort of logic. And so that over and over again, that would put me in a place where I had to, okay, what do I need to do? Start over. And I ended up creating a checklist and forced myself for years to follow this checklist. Yes, I was checking the boxes, but I had to develop some habits to go along with checking those boxes. No, I didn't just say a perfunctory prayer. I spent some time in prayer and meditation, for example. And, and that helped. But I found that I would be doing the same things over and over again, just with a little different twist. I'm just not drinking now. Like getting a new relationship. <laughs> well, it didn't turn out any different because I wasn't fully invested. 
That's a good beginning, though. You, you know, uh, I, I, I can affirm now that I got sober and my life really started to work and got pretty great. Uh, and that reminds me of the uh, Napoleon Hill book, Think and Grow Rich. Well, there's a whole lot between think and grow rich that does not mentioned in that title. Uh, it's not a simple two-step process. Uh, start at A, uh, you know, next week I'm on B and everything's great. You know, there are lots and lots of ups and downs. And, you know, also, uh, as you're saying, uh, unmanageability doesn't just instantly go away. It, it fortunately takes on a very different character. It's not uh, life-threatening. It's not career-threatening unmanageability. But, you know, I had to learn uh, along the way what it means to lead a sober life. And I did that by by showing up and listening to other people. I almost learned it and didn't realize I was learning it because I was willing for whatever reason, I was willing to show up and be a part, at least to some extent, to be a part of the group and and hear what people said and share what was going on with me. And I really liked the camaraderie uh, very early on. I felt very, very good about the uh, camaraderie. Right. But uh, I got sober and my life got great. Mm, there's a whole lot in between A and B. <laughs> Yeah, I got sober and my life wasn't great for a number of years. The first seven years uh, of my recovery was terrible. You know, I, if, I probably wouldn't have survived it had I not gotten clean and sober. And it was, I mean, there was one person after another in my life that, that was dying and I was diagnosed with cancer and I lost both my parents and I went through a medical bankruptcy and I changed careers and it was just one thing after another. And a, a good friend of mine in the program told me, she said, Lonnie, if you were a duck, you'd drowned. <laughs> you know, I mean, I was just hanging on to the end of the rope at that point in time. But I didn't have any place else to go. I was gaining some tools and I kept coming, you know, kept me coming back one day at a time. But every time another something would would hit me, I'd go, oh, OK, so we're starting over. We're back on step one because it, my life is unmanageable. It's doesn't. It's not drugs and alcohol that's the problem, but something is the problem, and my life is unmanageable. And I heard an analogy that for me rings true, and it's it's an analogy of a train wreck. You know, when when a train is running 100 miles an hour and the engine hits something on the track, the engine stops. The rest of the train doesn't. Yeah. And it took uh, takes a long time for the last car to come to rest and the cloud of smoke to dissipate. And for me, it was about 15 years before I was disentangled from the last element of decisions I made in my first year of recovery because I thought, oh, I'm clean and sober. It's all fine now. Yes. Yeah, it definitely took some time for me, not 15 years, but um, and, and it's such a progression over time it's hard for me to point at a place where life started to get really good but it was certainly good a few years in and certainly good five years in so now that we know about the challenge of unmanageability what is the solution well in unity we affirm that we have the ability to begin anew at any moment we know that no matter what is going on around us we have the power to choose differently this ability to create a new experience is expressed well in Unity's third principle, which states, we are co-creators with God, actively creating our world through thoughts held in mind. And this is just a fancy way of saying that we can begin again anytime we want to, and that's what we're going to focus on today. So what do we mean when we say that we can begin again or start over? What exactly does that look like, and how do you do it? 
for me, I have to keep things very simple. You know, my mind uh, loves complex uh, ideas and challenges and problems and whatnot, but I've learned that I need to keep things very simple, uh, certainly in, in recovery. And so when I think about starting over, um, it can be for me as simple as, you know, driving a different on a different road to go to the office or, or choosing to eat at a different restaurant, something that seems so small and uh, irrelevant to anything can, can actually have a big effect on my experience of the world and, and um, really show me, remind me that I can start over. It can be as simple as a, a minor seeming choice. My experience has been that that ability that I exercise when I make what seems like a a minor change, a different choice, uh, seems to have some kind of additive, maybe even multiplicative effect. And uh, it helps me and supports me in making changes that really are are much bigger than that. The very, very first one that I recall um, changing, the very first change besides don't drink and drug and go to a meeting <laughs> that I recall making a, a choice about was halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And at first I had to be trained. I'd call my sponsor all in a, in a tiff about something. And she'd say, I was working three jobs at the time. She'd say, when's the last time you slept? I said, well, I've had a nap. She goes, go take another one and call me back. You know, and then when's the last time you ate? Well, I think it was supper last night. Okay, go eat something. Call me back. And so I started to pay attention to hungry, angry, lonely, tired and and learned through that that when my physical self is taken care of, when I attend to my emotions, the lonely and the angry part, then I don't make terrible choices like I was doing before when I was running on empty. And so I remember consciously making that choice. I would I would was not in the habit of, for example, thinking about eating, but I'd go, oh, I'm on a way to a meeting. Oh, somebody's going to ask me if I've eaten yet. I better go, you know, drive through McDonald's. And so it was kind of a wayward way to get there. But that was the very first time I started making a different choice that started moving me toward becoming more emotionally stable. Yeah, there was a time in my life when uh, and I remember a conversation I had with a friend when it became clear to me. Uh, I wasn't concerned about what I ate. I was concerned that I ate. Mm-hmm. And and for whatever reason, I had a habit of just not eating. I, I don't know if it's because I didn't want to stop what I was doing. You know, I just keep putting it off. I'm not entirely sure what was going on with that. But um, I I do know that I didn't, I didn't care about like, was this kind of food more or less healthy than that kind of food at that time? I just cared, am I eating enough food? And, uh, I had to really make some conscious decisions around that and other sort of related things, um, to think, okay, it's, it's okay to take a break from this work that I'm doing and go and get something to eat. It's not like I disliked eating or anything like that. It's, it's almost as if I just never got around to it. So I had to make the choice to slow down a little bit. So that's an example for me of starting over um, can be just, you know, take a breath, recognize an, an old pattern and just choose something so simple like I'll eat a sandwich and that kind of thing uh, can, again, be a- add up to big changes for me. For me, a, a big element was learning to listen to somebody else's suggestions, learning to take a suggestion. 
instead of operating on the I know what's best for me type of um, modality. And so asking for suggestions like like was given to me with the HALT example, for example, and then starting to follow that, uh, taking those suggestions that I heard in the meeting rooms um, was a big help to me. And so was actually my defiance and rebellion because I think many of us have that, but I could use it to my advantage. Um, no, I'm not going back out. No, I'm not going there. I don't care how miserable I am. I can make a different choice. I can choose to ask for help. I can do something different. I can say one more prayer. I can go to one more meeting. I can make one more phone call. And that stubbornness, if you will, or the power of strength, um, I could use to my advantage in that way. And so that was something I did. One simple thing I did, uh, and I'm thinking now in the evening times, because uh, I, I drank in the evenings uh, in general. And so when I was newly uh, sober, newly in recovery, uh, you know, I felt like I had a lot of time on my hands that was just, uh, you know, spent differently than it had been before. And, and one simple choice that I could make uh, to start over would be, you know, instead of um, having a drink, maybe I got done whatever it is I was going to do. Maybe dinner was over and I'm sort of looking at some free time or what have you. Instead of uh, having a drink, I'd pick up the phone and call someone because I was told to do that. And it seemed important, you know, to the people who were telling me, it seemed like more than just a little thing. It seemed like something that I should be sure to do. And so I would, the different choice, the start over I would do is, well, I'm going to pick up the phone and call my friend so-and-so, or I'm going to call this person uh, that I just met and I got, and I got their number. And that kind of different choice, um, you know, added up again and, and made a big difference in my life over time. You know, one of my old belief systems was that whatever I'm feeling is um, got to drive my life, that my, my actions and my behavior comes out of that. And so one of the choices I had to make had to, had to do around managing my emotions. And, and I'm, um, I've suffered from depression for a long while, and I was particularly bad at that point early in recovery. And my sponsor told me, she said, okay, go set the timer on the stove. This was before cell phone timers and things like that. She said, go set the timer on the stove for 20 minutes. She said, have your pity party and call me when you're done. You know, okay, because I get, had permission to feel what I was feeling, but not long enough to make any dumb decisions based out of that feeling. I could express it release it and now i'm open for another suggestion yeah that's really wise counsel because i've learned that i need i need to be able to tell my story and sometimes i'll even say to a friend i'm going to complain now well aren't you a unity minister aren't you supposed to always think positive blah 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 okay yeah i get that but you know what right now i'm angry or i'm irritated and i'm going to express it without worrying about if i'm using the right words or if this is an okay way to feel i need to be able to express how i feel but i also need to move on from that and that transition from uh complaining to okay now that i've said what i needed to say let me begin now to look at the solution. That is a pivot point. You know, that is a starting over, a making of a different, uh, 
make, you know, making a choice to do something different. I'm going to stop complaining and I'm going to start asking myself, okay, what is going on here for me? What's my part in this? Uh, do I recognize this dynamic? You know, m- much more positive uh, solution-oriented questions. I can uh, pivot from uh, complaining into that. But man, I, I really like what you were just saying about your sponsor's advice, because yes, we do need to be able to tell our story. I do need to be, uh, you know, unity incorrect in my speech from time to time just to get something out so that I can then say, okay, what's happening here? Another small change that turned out to be a really large change that, that, um, I learned to do was to try to slow down enough to take one step at a time. My habit had been to analyze, scan the environment, analyze the data, and predict the future. And so I had it all laid out. Here's the plan. Here's how it's going to go. And I remember one time in particular, my boss came up behind me and he said, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm writing the minutes of the meeting. He said, you haven't been in the meeting yet. I said, I know, but I know what we're going to talk about. You know, and I mean, and that's a perfect example of my thinking at that point. You know, I was still playing God, if you will, as in uh, eliminating the options and this is the path we're going to take. And so I had to start taking a stop, one step, wait and see what happens, then make the next step because there might be some other options, some other choices besides the only the one that I see as viable. I'm thinking now about um, smoking. You know, I've smoked most of my life, but I I did quit recently uh, in the in the last year, and that's that's been a big deal for me. Now I've quit in the past uh, from time to time, but for whatever reason, um, it always crept back. Uh, this time I feel uh, very good about it. Um, I don't I don't expect it to um, come creeping back, but I don't really think about that very much. But during that transition period to, um, you know, becoming a, a non-tobacco user, um, I, I had to make different choices. You know, I had to come to that fork in the road and the, the way I usually went was smoke a cigarette. Uh, I, I had, uh, to choose something different, which could be, you know, drink a glass of water. It could be chew a piece of gum. It could be call a friend on the phone or stand up and check the mailbox you know, even if I know there's no mail in it, who cares? Stand up, walk outside, you know, check the weather, see if there's any bird, anything at all. That that simple um, point of choosing something differently, that was a way that I could start over again and again and again uh, each time that desire came up. And, and I'm telling you, I, I really needed that skill that I had developed in order to do that. I, I found it challenging to walk away from tobacco after uh, 30-odd years or ho- however long I smoked. But what it came down to was choosing differently, starting over, you know, third principle, co-creating with God a new way of being. And so that brings me to the saying that I didn't understand for a long time, let go and let God. And as you mentioned, there's a lot of dots between let go <laughs> and the let God. And so we're going to hold that thought and we'll come back after the short break and you will open the phone lines for callers. So to, uh, you can call us at 
All are welcome. We're glad you found us. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity Teachings, visit unity.org. Follow Unity Online Radio on Facebook and Twitter and stay up to date with all your favorite shows. Become a fan by clicking the like button. You can join in with a Facebook Live event or just like and share our post. Be the first to find out about any big special guests that might be appearing on the air or any events at Unity Village. We want to hear from you. Make sure you leave any questions or comments about Unity programming. Thanks for listening. Did you know Unity has published a new book by Eric Butterworth? This wonderful writer and teacher who is loved by so many people left a recorded class called Practical Metaphysics that has now been turned into a book. It's Vintage Butterworth. He explains how to live from a deeper state of consciousness and awaken to health, love, prosperity, and peace of mind. Practical Metaphysics. Find it online by going to unity.org and click shop. Get inspired with Temple Hayes and the Intentional Spirit, Wednesday at 1 p.m. Central here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Each week, Temple shares tools and practices to help you thrive in the most challenging times. Temple also welcomes fascinating guests who share their stories and struggles on the spiritual path. Follow Temple on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay up to date with the show. Become an Intentional Spirit with Temple Hayes here on UnityOnlineRadio.org. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. 
We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that we're going to open the lines for callers. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing um, a lot of different things, but they centered around unmanageability and making a different choice, a choice to start over. And one of the one of the concepts for me had to do with uh, that comment about a lot of dots in between. So, so Dan, since now we know the challenge is unmanageability, and the solution is to start over. How does how does starting over bring us into this life of life of possibility? What I've seen uh, in my experience is it does so one little thing at a time. I'm, I'm really uh, realizing as we talk about all this, uh, the power of a simple, a seemingly uh, inconsequential change or or difference. Uh, for whatever reason, this very silly uh, example comes to mind. So I'll, I'll, I'll often eat a sandwich for lunch and I go in the kitchen and, and I make a sandwich and I like mustard on my sandwich and I have always used yellow mustard. Now we have other kinds of mustard in the fridge, uh, but I never use any of the other kinds. And one day I look and say, I'm going to use deli mustard today. It seems like such a nothing thing. I'm almost embarrassed to share it. But what I think is going on when I do that is that there's something in my mind that's much more significant that has switched that says I can do things differently. I can make a different choice. And even though this one right here looks tiny and, and like it doesn't mean anything, uh, a whole series of those things, that dot, 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 you know, in between uh, think and grow rich or in between get sober and have a great life. Uh, all those little things um, are hinge on just making a simple, different choice. And man, those things just add up and multiply. So that's what that's how starting over for me brings a, a whole new a life of possibility is one one little thing at a time. For me, I have to get willing to start over. I have to realize I need to start over. Pain helps with that. And what I have gotten better at is recognizing that pain is coming if I don't start over. And the other thing that has helped me, and and you alluded to it here when you talk about the switch in your mind changing, is um, I have to become open-minded. And I don't know how to tell somebody how to do that. I, I know it when I see it. People quit, and I'm I quit using the the phrase "yeah, but." You know that's that's a big clue that uh, whoever's discussing something is not yet open-minded. Yeah, but I don't like brown mustard. I want to use yellow mustard. I have never tried brown mustard. I'm not open-minded yet mm-hmm. enough to do that. And so you know, to in order to start over, I have to become both willing and open-minded enough that I can act on a different choice. One way that I'm remembering that little things turned into a big thing for me over time is related to my prayer practice. So I I had uh, historically, uh, I'm going to affirm it this way, um, had a really hard time maintaining any kind of formal prayer practice. You know, the, what, what everyone always says, uh, at least if you hang around with unity people about, you know, I get up in the morning and maybe splash some water on my face and then I do my morning meditation. Um, that's a formal 
sitting practice. I had the hardest time for so long with that. For whatever reason, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try and explain why that might be. But what I learned was just by, by focusing on what I could do, what I was willing to do, or what worked for me, which was the informal practice, the, the practice of just taking a breath consciously whenever it occurred to me, you know, sort of miniature sorts of prayers, you know, turn within, even if ever so briefly, uh, when, when I'm driving somewhere at a stop sign or, or, or whatever it might be, um, taking a moment just in between activities to take a breath and, you know, remember how's it feel to be in this body by, by practicing, uh, the informal ways of prayer. I feel like over time, that got me to a place where I could then have a formal practice. And now I do have a formal practice, but it took forever. And I, I never fault anyone. Uh, you know, if someone said, yeah, I don't meditate, I, I get it. You know, that you're not doing anything wrong. You're not lesser in my mind. Um, you know, let's talk about what you are doing to shift your consciousness, because those little things can add up. Along the lines of informal prayer, I had uh, been given the advice to every time I pulled up to a stoplight to say a prayer, every time I went into the bathroom to say a prayer, and and that helped, and then learning to pause and to say a prayer, and and I was told that prayers at that point did not have to be long or elaborate or well-worded or proper or any of those kind of things. It was a practice of turning to something greater than myself open with an open mind to be able to receive inspiration direction guidance whatever you want to call it and i have heard uh, you know help is a perfectly valid prayer yes one word prayer so is thanks and so you know i was taught to start there simple change instead of getting frustrated and angry and figured out myself go to the bathroom and say help <laughs> yeah that's uh that uh, what was the book? Uh, Annie Lamott. I'm remembering an Annie Lamott book uh, that that the, I think the title was those you know three most powerful prayers: um, help, thanks, and wow. I don't know if they were in that order, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I subscribe to that as well. That that the decision to start over can be as simple as taking a breath and saying one of those simplest, most basic, basic prayers like thank you. Or something like that. One way that this has uh, shown up is, uh, I have. Uh, I'm I'm not exactly a big health nut. Um, you may have figured that out uh, by my uh, career of drinking and smoking most of my life. Um, but uh, you know, lately, more recently in sobriety, my way of living is definitely healthier, especially since I quit smoking. And one thing that I'm doing that I kept hearing about from spiritual teachers, but uh, never undertook myself is some kind of uh, fasting. And so I've been doing uh, what we call intermittent fasting. And each time I choose to do that, you know, it takes a certain amount of discipline, but even before that, it takes uh, the willingness to make that decision to do something differently. And what it feels like to me is, well, I'll just try it and, and see. You know, I, I don't have to say to myself, I'm not going to eat anything until this time of day. Uh, that's a really good way for me to sh show you. <laughs> I'll show you. I'll eat. I'll get up in the middle of the night and have ice cream. Um, 
but you know, being able to just make a decision that says, I'm going to go ahead and try this for now, you know, for this moment right now, um, I'm doing okay. I'm, you know, I'm just going to have some water and, and then I get distracted by whatever I'm doing. Something that was immensely helpful to me was to understand and follow a structure. Now, some of the structures could be self-imposed. And imposed is not even the right word, but um, I could come up with the structure myself and say, this is this is how I'm going to approach this. Um, and others might be given to me as guidance. For example, the steps are in order. Let's just start on step one. We don't need to run around and tell everybody in the world you're sorry just yet. That We'll get to that. <laughs> you know. So to follow a structure, and I had, as I mentioned earlier, to become willing to follow this structure um, and then to to become disciplined, as you were just talking about, to follow the structure, to actually follow through on it. And there was another thing. I don't like to be boxed into a corner. I never have. And I still don't. And so I always need to allow myself permission. I can change my mind if I decide I want to do that, which allows me to continue to make the choice. I'll do this for five more minutes. I've been on a five-minute plan for a lot of years, I have to say, not continuously, but at different periods of stress, periods of unmanageability in my life, I'm back on the five-minute plan. That's all I'm going to worry about is what do I have to do in the next five minutes. That seems to help immensely to pare down the, the immense vast number of choices available to me to something that's manageable. I love how Mr. Fillmore, the Unity co-founder, uh, was very clear in saying, I reserve the right to change my mind. I, I've heard uh, pr uh, ministers say that, spiritual teachers say that, and there's so much power in that simple statement. And, and what it looks like for me now is, uh, well, of course, because if I, if I already have it figured out, if I'm not willing to start over to take the different fork in the road, uh, then then I must have it all done perfectly now and nothing needs to change, right? Because now I finally get everything. Well, the chances are that that's probably not true. And so maybe there's something that I could learn uh, in the world. And if I'm going to learn something, I need to change my mind. I need to be willing to change my mind. I need to look at an idea, even a you know dearly held idea, and say, you know what, I, I can choose differently. Let me see what happens if I do choose differently. Let me try this on for size. Uh, for example, for me, uh, it doesn't sound like it in the dictionary, but discipline is definitely a four-letter word. I have never been good. Uh, I, I should affirm that different historically in my life up till <laughs> recently. Um, you know, d discipline is a concept that never worked for me. I, I think I always felt like it, like something was wrong that it needed to, I was deficient somehow. Like, you know, I'm going to go to the gym every day on this time. No, I'm not. I, I even laugh at myself if my brain decides uh, and this really doesn't even happen that much anymore. It's like, oh, that was fun. I know every Wednesday at three, I'll go to the thing and I'll do the, no, no, actually you won't. <laughs> so let's stop pretending that you will. But where that has gone for me is slowly over time through, uh, you know, holding that knowledge that I can, it's okay to do something differently. I can change my mind. It's not illegal. No one's going to run up behind me and say, you're not allowed to do that. I can choose differently and start over. And for me, slowly over time, I find for whatever reason that I'm, that I'm able to do more things that might be described 
as a discipline. I, I, I don't know that I use that word a lot. I still sort of bristle at it out of habit, I think. Um, but that's what I've seen happen. One, again, one little decision at a time, one little choice to do something differently. And I was instructed that when I have new information, I am obligated to re-examine the evidence. And the new information might be, this doesn't feel good. The new information might be, this didn't work well. It might be, um, I don't like the outcome of that. And so every time along the way that I made a choice, I was encouraged to examine the results. And then I have new information based on those results, make a choice. And it might be a different choice. And and that was very helpful to me, that if I had new information, I, I was obligated to re-examine the information. And, and, you know, so some of the tools that I was given first in the program, go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Well, I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> but I did it. And, and I did it thinking it was stupid. I did it thinking I'm not getting anything out of it. I did it wondering why I'm wasting my time, I, but I did it. Eventually, that experience changed because I found that when I missed going to a meeting, for a day or two, I didn't feel well. And somebody said, well, what did you stop doing? Oh, well, I didn't, I haven't been in a meeting. I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't thought about prayer meditation or any of those tools for a while. And they said, well, if it's working for you, don't stop doing it. Oh, <laughs> you know, so I had this give and take where I'd try everything everybody said and half of them would fall off my plate. And, and then I'd quit doing some things that were working and I'd have to go back and pick those up again. So it was kind of a cycle for me until I found out what do I need to do for me in the structure that works for me, for me to be comfortable in my own skin. When I first got sober, I had that experience as well of, of going to uh, meetings sort of as a prescription. Uh, fortunately for me, I really enjoyed the meetings that I was at. The people were fun and funny and had a lightness about them that I just really um, admired, I think, I was, I was drawn to. But as it, it can be, as you're saying, as simple as going to a meeting. Something like that, you know, I'm, I'm, that's certainly a different choice than I had ever made before I got into recovery. And what I found is that by making a simple decision like that to do something different, now it, it became not different after a while, it became sort of the new habit for me, but certainly at first and for quite a while in the beginning, it felt like, okay, I'm, I'm doing a thing that I've never done before. This is definitely a different kind of thing. I'm choosing a new path here. Uh, and for me, that absolutely helped to shift my life from, you know, all, all the downside related to addiction, all that um, unmanageability to a place where I had choice again, you know, possibilities started to open up. And, and for me, you know, ha having a life that that feels genuinely uh, alive and supportive and fun um, has a whole lot to do with having choices and having possibilities. You know, sometimes we talk about enculturation and sometimes we talk about codependency. And for me, they're kind of intertwined. And what that has to do with choice is those were the automatic subconscious programs that I ran on. And so part of this was learning that I had a choice just because dad always said this, or just because mom always did it that way, or just because in the part of the country I grew up in, this was the prevailing attitude, did not mean that that's what I have to make my decisions out of anymore. But first I had to discover I was doing that, 
And then I could make a different choice if I could identify those. And, and I remember having a conversation with my sister one time and commenting about, I don't even remember, I think it had to do with one of the relationships I was in and commenting about making a change. And she said a simple question to me. She said, well, what's stopping you? What's stopping you? And when she asked me that question, I go, well, I don't know. I don't know what's stopping me because what's so-and-so going to think? And what's dad going to think? What's mom going to think? And what's the world going to think? And what's, you know, all of this stuff came tumbling into my mind that made me realize I didn't know what I thought about that. I was running on all of these pre-programmed notions and I was not making a choice. I was, I, I didn't know I had a choice until she asked me that question. Years ago, I'm remembering now, I went, I went on a hike out in California. I lived in California uh, for a little while. And, um, you know, I wasn't used to that environment. It's very different out there, just the weather and the terrain and all that. Well, we went on a hike and I had a, you know, I had a backpack when um, we had some water and all that. And we hiked down this trail and, and it was, you know, beautiful and gorgeous. And then we turned around to come back and I realized, oh, uh, we, ha- we hiked down to get here. Every single step of the way out of here is hiking up. Oh, I really didn't bring enough water. Oh, it's hotter today than I realized. The sun is is hotter than the air temperature seems. And it was really, really hard to get back to the car. And I literally, the, the only thing I could do was literally look down and focus one left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, one foot in front of the other. Uh, every, it took everything that I had uh, to get out of there. And that really showed me the power of being able to do one little thing at a time. You know, we talk about in recovery, living one day at a time. It's such a simple idea that it seems like it could be easily dismissed, but it's, it's so powerful. And, and what it represents for me is a, is a whole series over time of decisions to start over. Today is a new day. I'm going to choose to live today. I'm going to choose to look for the good in the world today. I'm putting my left foot in front. I'm putting my right foot in front. One little thing at a time. And, and it's made a huge difference. It's absolutely uh, moved my life from unmanageable to filled with possibility. I don't understand how it would do anything else. (laughs) You know, I couldn't see it at the time. But when I think about it now, you know, mathematically, a two-degree turn, uh, you know, five feet out is not a very big distance. But if it's 500 feet or 500 miles out, you end up in a totally different place, you know, from just that that making a two-degree turn. You know, now I'm going to use brown mustard instead of yellow. Um, you know, and I, and I know that I took that a little bit out of context, but, you know, I, I started make, keeping commitments before I kept commitments out of obligation. You know, I, well, it's on my calendar. I have to go. I have to do it. I started putting some thought into why I am making this commitment. Why am I making this appointment? And what am I trying to accomplish by that? And then keeping it instead of putting them all on because I can't say no and then canceling at the last minute. That's made a huge difference in the way that my life has has turned out. I love that example uh, of a two-degree turn. I've I've used that often in in my mind. I have this image, this picture of you know a captain standing on the bridge of a ship. I don't know if that I've ever actually been on the bridge of a ship, but I I picture a big steering wheel like in a pirate movie or something. So there's this big wheel, and you turn it 
an inch to one side and it's like you did nothing but then what you wait just like you said that ship will do a u-turn if the ocean's big enough that ship will turn around completely all you got to do is hold it in that new position you know there might be resistance and it wants to return to where it was that's okay it doesn't take that much effort i can hold it in that new position and it will as you shared it will absolutely turn the other thing that that uh comes to mind is uh, i had a teacher that used to say you know you can't turn a car if it's not moving you know mm. you need to take action or what, what i like to uh tease people sometimes at church when I'm speaking, I, I have a new spiritual law, right? We all know a law about the law of mind action. Uh, the corollary is the law of actual action, where you've got to do something. You've got to take the idea of one foot in front of the other and actually put one foot in front of the other. And when you do, when you turn that ship's wheel, when you put one foot in front of the other, things will change for the better. They absolutely do. Absolutely. And, you know, it's really hard to see from the, a beginning place. And so having the perspective of hindsight to look at, you know, I'm thinking of another example, um, faith. When I, when I had walked into the program, I had what would normally be considered to be no faith. I had lots of faith. I had lots of faith that everything was going to go wrong. It's all bad. Mm -hmm. It's never going to be right, you know, and, and it's terrible. That was where I had placed my faith at that point in time. But having one experience of a good meeting, one experience of a tool that worked, one experience of a warm conversation, welcoming conversation, and I kept coming back for another one. That was my two-degree turn. And as that happened, I became uh, teachable, I became open-minded, and I became willing to start taking action and making those two-degree turns of my own in other areas of my life. And and I couldn't see that, you know, um, from that vantage point. I couldn't see where I was going to end up. I could never have predicted where I was going to end up. But looking back, I can see how it worked. I noticed that in order for me to make a different choice to start over, I have to be in the present moment. I can't make a different choice in the past, and I can't make a different choice in the future. I can only make a different choice right here and right now. Uh, I had a sponsor um, some years ago who would often ask if, you know, if I was expressing some worry or concern or what have you, he would say, do you have what you need right now? And that was such a great question because first of all, I had to get right now in order to be able to answer it. And then I had to think, do I have everything I need right now? Yes. I'm, my hair is not actually on fire, even though I'm acting like it's on fire. Uh, I've got food in the fridge. Uh, my rent is paid. Yeah. I, I have everything I need right now. That's all I needed to know that that simple choice to start over by coming right here, right now, everything's okay. Oh, let me move forward with the idea that everything's okay. Completely changed my life. So let's now move into action. You know, Unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do right now and this week to move from chaos or unmanageability in your life to new possibilities by beginning anew. So think of some aspect of your life that feels unmanageable or in disarray. Maybe it has something to do with finances. 
Or maybe your health could be better. Or maybe there's a relationship in your life that's kind of out of balance. What's important here is just to pick one thing, preferably something simple, so we can take it into a quiet time of prayer and meditation. And we do that by simply relaxing and taking it easy. Uh, There's no need to struggle. So as an example, let's use poor eating habits. I have that. Okay. (laughs) So use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to your old way of eating. You could say something like, I release unhealthy eating habits. This is not the truth of who I am. Repeat it a few times in your head or say it aloud and say it with conviction. I release unhealthy eating habits. This is not the truth of who I am. Follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, I choose to exercise my power to begin again and make healthier choices. And then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. I release unhealthy eating habits. That is not the truth of who I am. I choose to exercise my power to begin again and make healthier choices. So we've come to the end of our time together today, and we hope you found something that will help you on your recovery path. And we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to listeners and callers, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for all the insights that were shared in our discussion today. Listeners, if you would like, you can contact us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Laura Worcester, host of the Intuitive Life Podcast. As an intuitive medium and teacher working with the world of spirit, I love to share the peace that comes with the awareness that our departed loved ones are still with us. And I also love to help people explore what it means to live an intuitively led life. Start listening now on mindbodyspirit.fm or wherever you get your podcasts.